0: Hello Poetry Pals, and welcome back to Edgar Allan Poetry. I am your host, Emma Rem. If you're new here, welcome to the group, we hope you enjoy it. If you are a returning guest, then we're glad to have you back. For your fun poetry fact of the day, did you know that the earliest forms of poetry predate written language? They were sung or recited to help people remember genealogy, laws, and oral history. Today's subject is the poem, The Wasteland, by T.S. Eliot. In this series of podcasts, we will look into each section of the poem and then an additional podcast to discuss final thoughts. That is six podcasts in total. Get ready for a long ride with me, your host, and T.S. Eliot, that guy who had so much time on his hands that he wrote an 11-page poem. The section we will be covering today is Section 1, The Burial of the Dead. It isn't hard to tell that this section revolves around the element of death. However, the title could mean two things. One, the use of the word burial, suggesting that the speaker in this section will overcome death or the idea of it. Or two, that the speaker will have to bury a lot of dead, whether it be physical people or emotions. The first line of the poem is April is the cruelest month. April is the month when spring starts to overcome winter. Now, to most, spring brings new growth and fresh beginnings, but to the speaker, it just brings up old roots and lifeless soil. This speaker lists off many locations in Germany, which is the setting the speaker is in. She talks about what it means to be a real German. Then, the speaker has a flashback to her childhood, where she visited her cousin, who was a prince. The first stanza ends with the present time, and the speaker now feels nothing like when she was a child. She is reminiscing about her childhood, but then wallowing in the fact that she will never be able to feel that childlike innocence again. The second stanza then introduces a new character who is speaking. The setting in this stanza is described as a desert. And the dead tree gives no shelter, the cricket no relief. The dead tree represents the character losing sanity because of loneliness and emptiness. He is surrounded by feelings of discomfort. This speaker talks about how your shadow at morning striding behind or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. This is an example of parallelism. It suggests that the two images are mirrored and that the two shadows are walking in opposite directions. This can be used to determine that he is talking about the life cycle. Everyone comes and everyone goes. The third stanza then begins by talking about a woman named Madame Sesostris, a famous clairvoyant. A clairvoyant is someone who can see into the future. She is described as the wisest woman in Europe, but she has fallen ill. This can be used to represent how even the strongest and smartest people suffer. She then pulls out cards for the speaker, each one representing bad luck and hardship. However, she seems to be missing the hanged man card. The Hanged Man tarot card, when upright, means letting go and new perspectives. This could be foreshadowing the fact that the speaker will not be able to let go of his thoughts, that he will not come to terms with events that may surround death. The stanza then ends with her pointing out the crowd of people walking down the street. The last stanza mentions an unreal city in the first line. This city is supposed to be London. When the speaker looks at the crowd, he thinks, I had not thought death had undone so many, meaning they were in a zombie-like state. They were said to have gone through King William Street to St. Mary Woolmouth. King William Street is a financial district in London. They may have gone through it and completely ignored it because the only comfort they seek is in the arms of the church. No amount of money can help them. The St. Mary Woolmouth was said to keep the hours, which is a reference to a church bell. A church bell is often associated with death. Now, we see that they aren't looking for comfort in the arms of the church. They are seeking comfort in the arms of death. The speaker then sees an old friend whom he went to war with, named Stetson. He then asks about a corpse, one that he buried in a garden a year earlier. He asks if it had begun to sprout, as if the corpse could be reborn. This could suggest that he cannot come to terms with the death of this person. This could connect back to the reason why the Clairvoyant didn't have the Hanging Man card when in regards to the speaker. The title of the section doesn't seem to be very fitting to the actual events. The burial of the dead could lead one to believe that the people in this poem will overcome death and sorrow, that they will be able to find a way to go on. However, we see that all anyone in this poem can do is wallow in the feeling of losing something, whether it be innocence, sanity, new perspectives, or an actual person. Instead, the title of the section is a reference to the Anglican prayer book and its prayer, Ashes to Ashes, Dust to Dust. We can see that the beginning of the section was narrated by a woman in Germany, but then ends with it being narrated by a man in London. Even though this section is narrated by different people, they all have one common theme, death and religion. By using multiple voices, Eliot emphasizes the point that there is not always one absolute truth. That everyone sees the same situation in a different light, while all the while still sharing many similar thoughts, emotions, and themes. Eliot weaves these narratives together to create one cohesive idea and one cohesive story. This concludes part one of our six-part series on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Make sure to tune in next week where we discuss section two, a game of chess. And now for our next segment, To Be or Not To Be where we discuss whether an author should have published a poem, or if it was better left sitting in an old notebook, never to be read by society. I am your host, Emma Wren, and this has been Edgar Allan Poetry. Hello Poetry Pals, and welcome back to Edgar Allan Poetry. I'm your host, Emma Wren. If you're new here, welcome to the group. We hope you enjoy it. If you are a returning guest, then we're glad to have you back. For your fun poetry fact of the day, did you know that German poet Gottlob Berman so despised the letter R that he avoided using it in his poems and suppressed it in his speech during the last 17 years of his life? That must have been very hard, considering his last name is Berman. Today's subject is the poem, The Wasteland, by T.S. Eliot. In this series of podcasts, we will look into each section of the poem and then an additional podcast to discuss final thoughts. Make sure to listen to last week's podcast first where we analyze section one the burial of the dead today we will be looking at section two a game of chess and believe me looking at this 11 page poem a game of chess would be way more entertaining the title of the section a game of chess is referencing the section to be much like a chess game but how in literature chess is normally used in regard to romance in shakespeare's the tempest character's Miranda and Ferdinand's romance is consummated in a chess match. In some instances, chess can also have sexual references. However, the meaning could be different when in reference to historical context. The Wasteland was written in 1922, which is seen as the most important year in modernist literature, and T.S. Eliot's work contributed much to this. The works published that year changed the reading public's sense of what literature could be and hold. So in this context, Chess could represent the moves made in modernist literature at the time. The section begins with an elaborate description of an ornately decorated room. There is a woman sitting on a burnished throne, which is an allusion to Shakespeare's Antony and Cleopatra, where the woman in this section is being compared to Cleopatra. In this room, there is a painting hanging above the mantle. This painting depicts the rape of Philomela. Philomela was a woman who was raped by her sister's husband, the king. This was called The Sylvan Scene and it is pulled from Ovid's Metamorphosis. The story ends with Philomela telling her sister and escaping by turning into a nightingale. By using the story at the beginning of the section, Elliot is foreshadowing later events in the third section, the Fire Sermon. After this begins the dialogue. The woman is complaining about her nerves and is asking someone to stay with her. The dialogue between the two represents dwelling on the normalities of everyday life. We can see the marriage is dull and unfulfilling due to the repetition of the word nothing. Do you know nothing? Do you see nothing? Do you remember nothing? In the next part of the section, we are introduced to a woman named Lil, whose husband, Albert, just got released from the military. The setting of this part is in a pub with multiple women having a conversation, mostly about Lil. Albert gave Lil money to get her teeth fixed because he couldn't stand the sight of her. And now that he's home, all he wants is to have sex with her. Lil knows that if she doesn't get her teeth fixed, he will cheat on her with other women. Lil is described as looking antique, meaning she is comparable to an old woman. She needs new teeth and no longer desires sex. This normally means someone is unhappy. Then she mentions the pills she took. These are abortion pills, This is another reference to death, like in section one, the burial of the dead. Lil took it upon herself to abort her baby instead of getting her teeth fixed. She believed that she would be better off without being a mother. Lil is said to have pulled a long face, which indicates these pills are altering her appearance. Her chemist, also known as a doctor, told her that the pills wouldn't affect her, but she says, I've never been the same. At this time, women's worth as wives revolved around their physical appearance. Lil's role in her marriage is strictly sexual. So for Lil to go off and take abortion pills that alter her appearance, she is giving up. She no longer cares about her roles in society. She is breaking away from the stigma that women are sexual beings for men's pleasure. Not only does she use her husband's money, but she doesn't even include him in the decision-making. This was her choice and she has a right to make it. So in conclusion, Lil is a queen and I would die for her. This is when the phrase, hurry up, please, it's time, is starting to be repeated frequently. Time for what? Time for Lil to make a decision about her marriage, about her life? This is done to build up urgency and shows that tension is rising. The women then leave the pub and their goodbyes bleed into a quote from Shakespeare's Hamlet. Elliot quotes Ophelia's last words before she dies good night ladies good night sweet ladies good night good night this is done to show that death could be the only way out to this wasteland in hamlet ophelia dies by throwing herself into a river this could be why madame sesostris pulled the fear death by water tarot card while giving a reading in the burial of the dead the tarot card was foreshadowing the events in this chapter warning lil of the death looming over her This concludes part two of our six-part series on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Make sure to tune in next week where we discuss section three, the fire sermon. And now for our next segment, Crazy Lady, where we look at the times in literature where a woman was called crazy or mentally deranged when all she did was speak her mind. I'm your host, Emma Wren, and this has been Edgar Allan Poetry. Poetry pals and welcome back to Edgar Allan Poetry. I'm your host Emma Wren. If you're new here, welcome to the group. We hope you enjoy it. If you're a returning guest, then we're glad to have you back. For your fun poetry fact of the day, did you know that E.E. E. Cummings self-published his book of poetry, No Thanks, financed by his mother? In the book, he listed the 13 publishers who rejected his work, which would later become a classic. That's a boss move right there. Today's subject is the poem, The Wasteland, by T.S. Eliot. In this series of podcasts, we will look into each section of the poem, and then an additional podcast to discuss final thoughts. Make sure to listen to last week's podcast first, where we analyze section two, a game of chess. Today, we will be looking at section three, the fire sermon. If I have to burn for having to analyze this poem, then you have to witness me in pain. Let's get started. The fire sermon opens with the use of imagery describing a river in the city. The first lines depict the changing of the seasons. The river's tent is broken. The last fingers of leaf clutch and sink into the wet bank. Here the leaves are dead and falling off the tree. This leads us to believe that it is fall in this section of the poem. The river in this section is Thames, which is the longest river in England. Eliot uses sarcasm to describe the filthiness of the river. The river bears no empty bottles, sandwich papers, silk handkerchiefs, cardboard boxes, cigarette ends, or other testimony of summer nights. It may have said that it bears none of this, but it actually does. For the setting of the characters in this story, the river is clean and healthy, but in Eliot's time, it is flooded with garbage. The speaker then sits down by the river and weeps. While they are weeping, they recite the marriage song from Prothalamion written by Edmund Spencer the poet. This allusion emphasizes that this section is about sexuality. The vivid imagery in the first part of this section paints a desolate atmosphere surrounding a filthy river. The speaker gets overwhelmed by their environment that it pushes them over the brink, causing an overflow of emotions. The next part of the poem introduces Mrs. Porter, who is a prostitute, and her daughter. Then the rape of Philomela is referenced again. Twit, 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 jug, 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 jug. jug. So rudely forced, Taru. Twit, twit, twit likely refers to a bird call, such as the nightingale that Philomela turned into. So rudely forced refers to the violation, and Taru refers to the name of the king. The next person that is introduced is Mr. Eugenides, the Smyrna merchant. Smyrna is an ancient port city in Turkey. Mr. Eugenides could be referencing back to the One-Eyed Merchant tarot card that Madame Sesostris pulled during the reading. The One-Eyed Merchant is related to failing to see and is also one who must be relied on. This is the second time a tarot card from the reading has been right, the first time being when Ophelia's last words before throwing herself into the water were quoted in reference to Lil, which correlated to the fear death by water card. Mr. Eugenides offers the speaker to come with him to a hotel that is known for a meeting place for homosexual trysts. This is when we are told that our speaker is Tiresias. He is a blind prophet who is also a hermaphrodite. Even though he is blind, he can still see how people are acting and what they are doing, because he then watches an event unfold. A man enters the poem, a man who is completely enamored with himself. He is rich and believes he is accomplished in his work. In reality, he is unattractive, naive, and lacking in the bedroom. Wink, wink. He then begins to have sex with a woman. Exploring hands encounter no defense, his vanity, no response. This means that she does not want to have sex with him, but stays quiet and bears it. The woman is obviously uncomfortable and isn't having a good time. But she does nothing to stop it from happening which doesn't make it okay at all she does not care for this man nor the sex they have she even says she has had sex with him so many times that she no longer has a sense of pleasure she then ends the night by putting on music to drown out her thoughts of sadness and loneliness in this section of the poem sex is treated as meaningless and cheap sex should be about uniting with someone you love and at this time someone you are married to But in The Fire Sermon, there is no correlation between love and sexuality. The man seems to love himself and the thought of performing sexual actions onto someone else, while the woman is dejected during the act. She'd much rather put up with it than call it off. The title The Fire Sermon is a reference to the Buddhist Fire Sermon, which encourages the individual to give up earthly passion, which is symbolized by fire, and seek freedom from earthly things, to detach oneself from the five senses and a conscious mind. This clearly happens to the woman who is begrudgingly holding her tongue while having sex with someone she doesn't care about. This section shows the dangers of lust, as the Buddhist Fire Sermon sees it as an obstacle to spiritual peace. By giving this section the title, The Fire Sermon, Eliot shows how pleasure is fleeting, and men and women are controlled by the magnetic pull towards each other. This concludes part three of our six-part series on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Make sure to tune in next week where we discuss section four, death by water. Stay tuned for our next segment, Does Literature Math? Where we bring a physics expert on the show to determine if the physics in sci-fi novels could actually work in today's world. I'm your host, Emma Wren, and this has been Edgar Allan Poetry.